Um, do keep that chapter open in front of you. Kids, if you have a sheet and that's helpful for you to follow along, then grab one of those. I'm going to pray once more just as we come uh, to God's Word together. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, as we've already heard this morning, you give us all that we need uh, to live for you. Father, thank you that you give us your Word. Thank you that you give us your Spirit to help us understand it. And we pray that you would help us now, uh, help us to listen to you, uh, help us to live out uh, what we hear you say to us today. Amen. Well, Gareth has already helped us to think, hasn't he, about the difference between the things that we want and the things that we need. And I wonder whether you've ever asked yourself, uh, what do I need if I'm going to grow as a Christian? What things will help me to to know Jesus better and live as one of his disciples? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Maybe you've asked that question of us, of the church. This year, as we hopefully continue to build back towards some sort of normality as lockdown is lifted, we're going to be asking ourselves again and again, what is it that we need? What does the church need? What do God's people need if we're going to grow together and live life for him. And these last few chapters, chapters 7 to 10 of Ezra, help us to answer that question. Reese showed us last week that chapter 7 is a bit of a turning point in the story. If you remember, chapters 1 to 6 were all about the people returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple there. God moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to send the people back to Jerusalem. And then God moved the hearts of the people so that they left the security of Babylon and journeyed back to Jerusalem to begin this temple-building project. But through those chapters, we've also seen, haven't we, that, well, that this was much more than just a building restoration project. God's intent, his purpose in all this was not just to restore a building, but to restore his people. He was bringing them back to his land so that they could worship him. And that's what we saw at the end of chapter 6. God's people in God's land worshipping God together. But then the question that we had at the end of that chapter was, well, what next? What will God do now? Now that the people are back in the land, now that the temple is rebuilt and proper worship is restored, what do God's people need next? And the answer to that question comes in these chapters, chapters 7 and 8. As we began to see last week, they show us that God continues to provide for his people. And it's as we see the things that God provides that we begin to understand what it is they really need. So that's going to be our focus this morning, to look at what God provided for the people back then and then see how that shows what they and we need today. And the first thing I want us to see is that God provides a preacher. God provides a preacher. Last week in chapter 7, we were introduced to Ezra, the man this book is named after. And if you can remember how Ezra was described, it's back in chapter 7. Look there with me at chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Ezra was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. When it came to God's law, Ezra was an expert. 
It would have been his chosen subject or mastermind. He knew everything there was to know about God's law. But it wasn't just head knowledge that marked Ezra out. Look across at 7 verse 10. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. This guy, Ezra, didn't just know God's word, he was devoted to it, devoted to living it and to teaching it to others. In other words, there was, there was no disconnect between what Ezra taught and what Ezra did. He was completely committed, devoted to, to studying and speaking and showing God's word in everything that he did. And so it's this Ezra that is making his way back to Jerusalem at the start of chapter 8. Why? What, what's causing this man to make this move? Well, the reason is in that repeated refrain that you might have picked up as we've read through these chapters. It comes there in 7 verse 9. It says, He, Ezra, had begun this journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month for the gracious hand of his God was on him. It was God, God's hand that had led Ezra back to Jerusalem. And so it was God who was graciously providing his people with a preacher. Not a, a mighty warrior to defend them against their foes, not a skillful politician to negotiate with other nations. No, God sends a Bible teacher. Someone who will give himself to the study and teaching and modeling of God's word. Because that is what the people need. God builds his church, his people, through his word. And the same is true today. God continues to build us, his church, through his word. Uh, now, obviously, unlike in Ezra's day, we're no longer under the law of Moses, the law that Ezra was sent to go and teach the people. But just as we've seen with the temple, God's law is meant to point us to Christ. Christ is the one who comes to fulfill the law. He is the one to whom the whole of Scripture points. Which means today, what the church needs is people devoted to studying, teaching, and modeling God's word about Christ. People committed to preaching Christ from the scriptures. You hopefully know by now that the elders are currently searching for a new senior pastor to join us. And there are all sorts of things, aren't there, that we could look for in a pastor. Skills, gifts, visions, plans, ideas, all good and important things. But one thing that God says is essential is that they are devoted to knowing, teaching, and living God's word. What do God's people need if they're going to live in relationship with him? Well, first we see they need God's word. And so he graciously provides them with Ezra to teach it to them. But Ezra's not the only one who makes the journey back to Jerusalem, is he? In chapter 8, we see that God doesn't just provide a preacher. He provides people. Chapter 7 ends, right at the end of chapter 7 there, ends with the words, Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, 
I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Uh, What follows in chapter 8 is a list that Annie read really well of complicated names, difficult names, but a list of people that went with him. Uh, Perhaps these people were persuaded by Ezra's preaching. Perhaps God simply moved their hearts like he had done for those back in chapter 2. Either way, these are the people who join Ezra on the journey back to Jerusalem. Uh, But did you see, just as they gather together, ready for this four-month journey ahead of them, Ezra spots a problem. It's there in 8 verse 15. He says, I assembled them at the canal that flows toward Ahava, and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. Ezra spots a problem. There, There are no Levites making the journey back with them. We're not told why that is. Maybe they had got too comfortable in Babylon. Maybe they thought their temple days were behind them. We're not told the, the reason for the lack of Levites. We're just told that it's a problem. But why? Why does it matter so much that this particular group of people aren't that interested in going back to Jerusalem? Well, we've seen, haven't we, in Ezra already that that God intends for his people to worship him in the way that his word, his law, prescribes. And we've seen as well that the temple is at the heart of that worship. It was the the Levites who played a key role in that temple worship. You see, it it was the job of the priests, the people like Ezra, to offer sacrifices and to teach the law. But in order for them to do their job properly, they needed the Levites. People from the same tribe who were set apart to take care of the temple, to make sure everything happened as it should. The Levites were needed in the temple. They were also needed for the journey back there. Back in the the book of Numbers, God told his people that the items, the articles for the temple, they were holy set apart for worship. And to show that was the case, he said that only the Levites were allowed to carry them, to transport them anywhere. Just the Levites. And so here's Ezra with a long journey ahead of him and bags of gold and temple items to take with him. But he doesn't have any Levites. He doesn't have the people he needs to do what God has asked him to do. So what does he do? Verse 16, he sends men to go and gather some Levites. And then in verse 18, we read those same words again. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a capable man from the descendant of Mali, son of Levi, the sons of Israel, and Sherebiah's sons and brothers, 18 in all, and Hashabiah together with Jeshashiah from the descendants of Merari, and his brothers and nephews, 20 in all. Once again, God provides exactly what his people need. He graciously sends Levites. And more than that, in verse 20, he sends 220 temple servants. Who were they? They were like the the helpers of the helpers. If the priests needed the Levites, then the Levites needed the temple servants. And so you can see, can't you, that that God's people needed Ezra. 
They needed this man to come and teach them God's word, but that wasn't all they needed. They also needed people, particular people, to carry out particular roles in their life and worship together. Now again, we don't have Levites or or temple servants anymore. Those are not rotors that you can sign up to at CEC. But as a church, we do need much more than just preachers if we're going to live life God's way, if we're going to grow together as God's people. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes the church as a body with different parts. And his point there is, in using that image, is to say that every part is different. An eye is not a foot, a hand is not an ear. Every part is different, but every part is needed. God has given his people different personalities, different gifts, different roles to play in the life of the church. And all of them are needed. And so just as it was no good for the Levites to to stay in Babylon and say to Ezra, no, no, you go ahead, you'll be fine without us, you don't really need us anyway. It is no good for us to say the same thing when it comes to church. If you are part of this church, if you're a member of this body, then God says you are needed. And I know that looks really different over the last year. With lockdown restrictions, so many of our kind of regular activities have all been put on hold, and so opportunities to serve have seemed quite limited. It's been an unusual time for us as a church. But I really hope it's also been a helpful time. A helpful time in reminding us that serving God and serving his people is not limited to a rota. We are not only needed or useful as long as our name is on a list somewhere. We are needed and useful because we are part of this church body. And that doesn't change just because we can no longer do some of the things that we're used to. Which means a really good question to ask ourselves this morning is, where can I serve? Where is God showing me a need that I can meet? How can I be part of his building project? And don't don't wait to July to ask that question. Ask it. Chat about it with me or, or an elder. How can I be part of God's building project? God provides a preacher. He provides people. And then finally, we see he provides protection. The people are gathered together. Their, their bags are stuffed with silver and gold and articles for the temple. They've got the Levites and the temple servants with them. They are set to go. They're ready to make the journey back to Jerusalem. But just as they're about to set off, Ezra pauses again. He pauses because he knows that the road they're about to travel is a dangerous one. It's a long road, and they've got a lot of gold and absolutely no protection. This is a dangerous journey they're about to embark on. And so what does he do? Chapter 8, verse 21, There by the Ahava Canal I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. 
Ezra leads the people in humble prayer and fasting, and he asks for God's protection. And we can see the reason for his prayer there in verse 22. He says, I, I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road, because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all those who forsake him. You see, Ezra could have asked the king for backup. The king who had given him everything that he needed would surely have provided him a few soldiers for the journey. But he doesn't ask. In fact, he says he would be ashamed to ask because he's told the king that, that God is with him. God's hand is on him. And he wants the king to see that. He wants the king to see that he does have protection. He has a protection far greater than anything the king of Persia could provide. And so he prays. He humbly asks God to keep him safe on the journey. And it's worth saying just at that point that I don't think that Ezra's actions here necessarily mean that we are to turn down any sort of protection or provision that the world might provide just to demonstrate that God's hand is with us. No, God does and can and does use all sorts of means to provide for his people. In fact, just a few years after Ezra, Nehemiah goes on a very similar journey. And this time the king does give him some soldiers and he accepts them as part of God's provision, part of God's protection. And so the question here isn't about, do you take the soldiers or not? No, the real question here is, who do you trust? Armed guard or no armed guard, where is your confidence? Where is your security? Who do you depend on to make it through? And the answer for Ezra and the people is clear, isn't it? They get down on their knees in humble dependence upon God. They trust him for his protection. And so we read in verse 31, On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. Here it is again, the hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from our enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem, where we rested three days. The gracious hand of God provides protection for his people. He is with them every step of the way. And so in verse 34, he ensures that they all arrive back in the land safely, every single coin accounted for. And I don't know about you, but, but it's that sort of trust, that, that dependence upon God that I find both a huge comfort and a challenge for my life today. It's a comfort for me as I realize that God promises to be with his people and to protect them no matter what. And we've got to be clear, don't we, that that is in protection from any sort of difficulty or trial. God doesn't promise that we won't get hurt or face opposition. We've seen that in Ezra 4 already. But he does promise that if I am in Christ, if I have put my trust in Jesus then nothing in all of creation can separate me from him. 
As we heard a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Rome that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is ultimate protection, isn't it? And it's knowing that protection that means that Paul can go on and say to the Philippians that he is absolutely confident that he who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And so you see, God promises. He promises to protect his people. He promises to keep them until they make it home to be with him. And that should be a huge comfort to us this morning. But it should also be a challenge. Because despite these amazing promises, we still find it so easy to look for protection and security elsewhere, don't we? Despite the fact that the God of the universe has promised to keep us safe in him, we still look for security in what the world has to offer. We still find ourselves thinking everything will just be okay if I can just have that. Everything will be all right as long as as the economy picks back up again and some more money starts coming into the bank. Everything will be okay as long as the kids go back to school next week. I can have a bit of peace. Everything will be okay as long as I get my vaccine and life goes back to the way it was. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. None of those are bad things in themselves. It is not wrong to want them or to have them. But when we put our trust, our confidence in those things, when we depend on them rather than on God, well, that is when we've taken a major wrong turn. I've been challenged this week to think to think, what if there is, was no vaccine? What if there is a, a new variant that, that we can't protect ourselves against? Where's my hope then? Where is my confidence then? Where is my security then? That's a revealing question, isn't it? And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, who or what am I depending on? And not just in the big things, day to day. Where is my trust? Where is my confidence? Where is my security? How do I answer the question, everything will be okay if I just have what? Ask those questions of yourself and and then remember what we've seen in Ezra this morning. Remember that we have a good and gracious God who gives us all that we need. A God who has given us ultimate security in Christ. A God who has promised that in Christ he will never leave or forsake us. Not because of anything that we do or don't do, but because of what Christ has done for us. We need to ask that question. We need to repent of our idols, repent of the things that we trust in rather than God's. We need to remember that God has given us all that we need in sending his son.
and then we can rejoice. That's what the people do at the end of chapter 8. As they arrive back at the temple, safe because of God's protection, they make sacrifices of praise to God. They recognize his gracious provision for them. And we can do the same. But we can rejoice and praise the God who has provided all that we need in Christ. So let's do that now. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are absolutely amazed at your graciousness, your generosity to us. Every single day, Father, we, if we look, we see all the things that you give us, all the things you provide, everything that we need. But most of all, Father, we are amazed at your generous, gracious gift of the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that uh, as long as we have him, everything will be okay. And Father, thank you that he is the one thing we cannot lose. Father, please, would our confidence, would our trust be in the Lord Jesus today? And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.